I'm Chad Main, the founder of Legal Services Company Percipient, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology and innovation in the legal industry. In today's show, we're talking to Colin Williams and Rich Lee about online dispute resolution and their new startup, New Era ADR. In this episode of Technically Legal, we talk to two lawyers with some pretty cool backgrounds, Colin Williams and Rich Lee. They're both co-founders of a new legal tech startup called New Era ADR. Colin started his legal career as a litigator with Butler Snow and then moved over to Greenberg Traurig, where he worked for about 10 years. He then went in-house. He started with Oracle, but for the last several years, he was general counsel for Reverb, which is one of my favorite websites out there. It's an online marketplace to buy new and used musical gear from both individual sellers and music stores. A couple years ago, Etsy bought the company, and Colin was there to help see the transaction through. My other guest is Rich Lee, who is also GC for a pretty cool Chicago-based startup called Civis Analytics. Civis was launched by vets of the Obama 2012 re-election campaign, including Dan Wagner, who is the campaign's chief analytics officer. Civis's goal is to use knowledge learned from the campaign to help organizations use analytics and data science to gain a better understanding about their customers and clients so they can make better business decisions. Prior to Civis, Rich was SVP and general counsel for a fintech company. Colin and Rich are buddies, and a couple years ago, they were commiserating about inefficiencies in the dispute resolution process and the pain points they were feeling as GCs. That's where the seeds for New Era ADR were sown. So fast forward to 2020, and the two got serious about launching the online dispute resolution company. And that's when they launched New Era. The company teamed up with the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and they provide experienced neutrals to oversee online arbitrations and mediations. New Era just went live a couple weeks ago and is now open for business. Question number one I had for you you two, and I'm sure maybe you told me when we, we've talked separately, is how did you two meet? Ah, <laughs> so this goes back a ways now, but um, when I was at a rather infamous startup in Chicago called Outcome Health, I started a tech GC group as kind of a therapy session, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, <laughs> and I originally connected with Andy Pollivan at Uptake and Lisa Young, who was at Nova at the time. Uh, and we started the group and Rich joined very, very closely thereafter. And that's, that's where we met. Yeah. Yeah. we just kind of, I think we just hit it off. I think the, the other thing that Colin didn't mention is he was the first person to leave Outcome Health, uh, the first exec. So that, I think that's yeah. important. <laughs> <laughs> to be very, very clear, very, very clear about that. Yes. I was the first level of any management who left Outcome Health. And for obvious reasons, I was out of there as fast as humanly possible. You both are were coming from not only noteworthy startups, uh, tech companies here in Chicago, but I'll start with Rich, I guess. You were at Civis. It might help the listeners to explain what that is. It kind of came out of the Obama campaign in some ways, but then a- applied what was learned from a data science perspective to the business world. Yeah, Civ- Civis was easy, easily, you know, probably the most interesting job I've ever had, you know, before New Era. You know, Civis was a, it was a data science startup. It was started by the data team from President Obama's 2012 campaign. Uh, and it was essentially, you know, the thesis was, let's take everything we did with voter targeting in essentially in the, mo- the most kind of groundbreaking, game-changing election in 2012, where data was truly, you know, underpinning every major decision on that campaign. Let's let's take that and apply all of our learnings and all of our methodologies to, you know, every other industry. Because in the end, the company's solving, who do I talk to? When do I talk to them? With what message, you know, to get people to do what I want them to do. And that's, you know, audience engagement is, is, uh, is a problem. And it's, uh, 
you know, something sought after by, you know, organizations in all industries. So the team, you know, got a bunch of funding uh, from Eric Schmidt, you know, from Google and, you know, took the company out of basically kept about 12 or 13 people together um, and started the company. And then I joined about uh, about a year later. So I was still one of the, I think, you know, first um, maybe like 40 employees. Why do you make the jump from Civis to your own startup? Well, so this was, yeah, I mean, this, this goes a little bit into, you know, kind of the, the backstory. So this is, um, you know, New Era was originally Colin's, you know, Colin's baby. Um, so Colin had been working on this for probably about a year or so when I joined him. So this is now about two and a half years ago. But it was it was a pain that, you know, I felt that Collins felt, you know, really any business owner has experienced this, which is, you know, the way we handle disputes in this country is just frankly very backwards. It's incredibly time consuming, incredibly, you know, just expensive, you know, and a massive distraction. I think that's the part that often goes untold and isn't really brought up is just that it is this dark cloud kind of hanging over your head. You know, whether you're in a sales meeting, a leadership meeting, you know, a product meeting, you were thinking about that dispute. And for me, it, it just made all the sense in the world that, you know, out of 19 million cases filed in this country each year, Colin's thesis, my thesis is that, you know, the majority of those cases are cases where companies and individuals, they don't care about fighting tooth and nail about every single issue in that dispute, right? All they care about is getting you know, their argument out, presenting their best evidence to someone who knows what they're doing and just getting a decision so they can go back to their lives. You know, that was one of the things I said to Colin was, you know, no, at no time in all the disputes I've handled across, you know, 10 years as a, a GC across two companies, has anybody said anything to me other than this is horrible. How quick can we get just get this done uh, when a dispute came up? Colin, so before we get to the, the backstory on the company, you're at Reverb, ultimately acquired by Etsy. It's a, it's a place for people to sell musical gear. You're general counsel for that company for a while. Why do you choose to leave Reverb, which is a cool company, a you know, very successful company, and launch your own gig? To start off, Reverb was, was such a fantastic place, right? And um, you know, I, I joined because I was originally sort of following the career of David Colt, who's you know, one of our Chicago entrepreneurs who's, who's done amazing, amazing things. So the opportunity to join him and learn from him and do something that I'm very passionate about, which is music. You play drums and guitar, right? I play drums. I play guitar. I play bass. Uh, I've dabbled in piano and a little known thing. I, I sang all through college. So with a band, I assume? Uh, no, actually, I was in an acapella group of all oh, things. Nice. Um, so, yeah, interestingly enough, I was a football player and an acapella singer. So kind of a, an interesting mix all through college. But I've, I've been a musician for as long as I can remember. And, you know, the opportunity to join David and learn from David was just something that was that I couldn't pass up. And I was incredibly excited about as far as why I left. Uh, I mean, the truth is my goal was always to, to take Reverb through a sale or an IPO uh, and experience that. And then Etsy came about and we sold the company. And Etsy is fantastic. I do not have a bad thing in the world to say about Etsy. The team is there. They're great. But you know, I kind of accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. And then it was time to move on to, to this, which has been, you know, mulling about in my head for years. So it was just, it was time, but it had nothing to do with Reverb, nothing to do with Etsy. It was just time to go do, do my own thing. You and I are both, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We're both former litigators. So you, you know how the sausage is made as far as dispute resolution goes. What was it about online dispute resolution that brought you back in because as we know it can be litigation can be a real pain in the ass. So what was it about ODR that that 
made you want to launch New Era? Well, I think it gets back to what Rich said, right? Um, I always view this in a very simple way. We live in the 21st century. And I've got a good buddy. This is a, an analogy I use a lot. I've got a good buddy whose brother lives in Hong Kong. And you know they can connect instantly. And they can do it via video. They can do it via phone. It doesn't really matter. But they can, they can interact in a way where it's like they're in the same room, even though they're 4,000 miles away from each other. Yet, for some reason, in the 21st century, we can't resolve a dispute in under three years. So I look at everything that's happened and how we've become so digital and we can do these amazing things in a digital world. And yet dispute resolution still lags years, years behind, right? Uh, You could argue that it's not even a 20th century process. It's a 19th century process. So it just seemed to me that this was the time that we had to do something. And like Rich said, we've experienced this pain, you know, being general counsel in companies. I did this for 11 years in private practice. It's miserable and it's distra- it's a huge distraction. It's massively expensive and it, it that's not right. <laughs> in a digital world where we're doing all these amazing things, it's time to bring dispute resolution into the 21st century. Would you would you agree too that you know, you didn't know this at the time, but this pandemic forced the legal world to go remote like everybody else and historically legal was not remote. You know, they I think many thought needed to have FaceTime, go to the office, be near the books. But I want to know if you guys agree. I think that the fact that legal, like the rest of the world, is forced to, to work remotely, that's that's real helpful for what you guys are trying to sell now because they've had to go to Zoom for court. They've had to do Zoom depositions. So they see the value in, in doing this electronically. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's no doubt, but I think we probably viewed the most difficult part of this would have been convincing people that we can use tools like this to, to resolve disputes. Then the pandemic comes comes around and all of a sudden you're forced to do this. So timing is is everything in a lot of ways. And we certainly don't want to capitalize on the pandemic in any way. But I think it has made people realize that this is a functional way to do things. Yeah, I, I think same, especially coming from the tech world, though, you know, Colin, and I, I think we've been accustomed to working, you know, in, in remote settings, you know, and doing a lot of stuff over kind of just technology. Right. Um, and you're exactly right. Uh, I think the pandemic kind of catalyze that for the legal industry. I think the best you know, analog for that is telehealth. You know, I, I've been an early adopter of telehealth, you know, used uh, kind of mobile appointments, you know, with my doctors before, but I think the pandemic really pushed everything forward and helped people realize that, hey, you can actually successfully, you know, have a doctor's visit uh, remotely. And I think the same went for, you know, dispute resolution, you know, talking to, it's actually been you know, eye-opening and really interesting, uh, you know, speaking to mediators and judges, you know, over the past two and a half years that we've been working on this, you know, seeing that change in mindset just over the past year. Um, I mean, my favorite story that I love to tell is, you know, I spoke to a mediator who was down in Florida. This is, um, you know, August or September of 2020. And, you know, what he told me was, he's like, I'm not going back. I can go downstairs, I knock out a mediation, I can go upstairs and basically go play around a golf or I can go for a walk with my wife. He's like, I'm not doing these in person anymore. This is this works perfectly. I mean, the pandemic, like, you know, like many other things, well, has catalyzed a lot of different things um, and really moved, you know, I think a lot of different parts of society forward. You guys get together, you come up with the idea. Do you mind if I call it ODR, online dispute resolution? What do you, what do you guys call it? Whatever you want to call it is good with us. <laughs> You make the decision, you're going to do this online dispute resolution. What are the first steps you take? You guys have been down this road with startups and tech, but what what is the first thing that you did? Because we have a lot of uh, legal tech people and entrepreneurs listening, so I'm just curious how your experience compares with theirs. 
I think the two things we prioritized, you know, were, you know, the user experience and then, you know, the quality of the neutrals on the platform. You know, our premise for starting this was, you know, we didn't want to tackle just, you know, small disputes, right? Because, you know, our belief is that, again, going back to that 19 million, you know, civil cases filed each year in this country, you know, that that middle market, which is the majority of those disputes, those are, you know, perfect for dispute resolution platforms like ours. You know, so there, there's the small cases like under $50,000. Uh, those have small claims court, right? Municipalities have those. Those are already pretty efficient. Um, you're going to have the super, you know, large cases, uh, nine, 10 figure cases, you know, pharma disputes, trade secret disputes. We're not, you know, trying to tackle those yet. Um, but everything in the middle, all the contractual, straightforward commercial disputes, um, that's what we're trying to tackle. But then, you know, these are still meaningful things to, to companies. And so, you know, making sure that we recruited and worked with an experienced set of neutrals was critical too. Um, and so that's how we set out was, you know, let's build a product that digitizes the entire process and makes the entire user experience easy for both, the, for all parties, the neutrals, the attorneys who are, um, you know, working on representing the parties and then the parties themselves. And then let's make sure that the person hearing the case on the other side is going to be as experienced, if not more experienced uh, than the judges, you know, who are going to hear your cases in court. Colin, what did you do? Because Rich said it was your baby at first. Um, what did you do to validate the idea to do the research? I know there's other companies out there. Like we've had Steve from uh, Stephen from Fair Claims on there. eBay does a lot of online dispute resolution. Not not to the level that you guys are doing it, but but it's out there. And you know, Europe, it's it's taken off. What did you do, if anything, to validate your idea to say, hey, this is something I want to do? There's really, I think, two things there. Rich mentioned the neutrals. So when I first had the idea, one of the biggest concerns were, were there was two big concerns. Number one, could we do Zoom type of stuff, right? So we talked about that very briefly and, and how the pandemic has sort of made people realize that that's a functional way to do things. The second biggest hurdle I really saw was could we get neutrals on board, right? So arbitrators and mediators who bill by the hour. So they have a vested interest in, in a certain way of, of, you know, of things that take a long time. At least that's what I thought. So... I ended up contacting a group out of Denver uh, and an arbitrator and mediator that I knew and pitched him the idea uh, to, to validate it, right? To make sure that there would be interest on the neutral side. Because like Rich said, without a good group of neutrals, you're nowhere. And his eyes sort of lit up and said, you know what? This is the way that things have always supposed to been. And they haven't been. And we're on board. Like, we're excited about this. We want faster, more efficient dispute resolution. If you guys can change the game, then we're really, really interested in helping you. So that was the start. And that was kind of the, the validation point of saying, okay, you know, maybe I'm not totally crazy on this. And then I would just like what Rich was saying, if you really talk in more general terms about how you get started, build yourself a team, recognize right away, which was difficult for me because I'm a person who tends to, to lone wolf at times. You have to realize you can't do things on your own. So it was bringing, you know, really good folks in, um, you know, obviously Rich joined and we've got Shane Mulroney, who was the ex-general counsel of Home Chef. Um, we've got Michelle Tyler, who's doing all operations. Um, my buddy Dan Melnick has given us a ton of technical advice. We built a board of advisors and we're really focusing on our engineering team right now. You can't do any of these things on your own. So the idea was like, let's build up a team that believes in this. And with a heavy focus on engineering and building a product, like Rich said, that's usable, that's easy for people, you do those things. And I think you're halfway to success because without those things, you're nowhere. And then from the genesis of the idea to you keep mentioning engineers, the, the actual tech part of it, when did you start 
writing some lines of code, not you, but your team. When, when did that start to happen from ideation to when? Well, <laughs> we built a couple of versions. So this is actually what will come out is probably technically version 3.0. So there were some teams that were some offshore teams that we tried to build some stuff with early on. But to get the really short answer of your question, we had engineers really start building code probably around September-ish, I would say, Rich. Tell me if I'm wrong on that. But that's when we really had engineers that started to plug away and build what the world will see as version one, but is probably actually version three. After the break, Colin and Rich dispel the myth that traditional arbitrations are more efficient than court cases. And they also explain why having experienced, qualified neutrals is key to getting disputes resolved. We need to do more with less. That is the key takeaway nowadays from almost every survey of in-house counsel. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if you actually could do more for less? By combining legal expertise and technology, Percipient enables legal teams to get more work done for less. Buried in contracts and sales is frustrated with turnaround time? We can help with that. Did you just get hit with a subpoena and reviewing 100,000 documents and files will tax your resources or cost you a small fortune in billable hours? We can help there, too. Our team of legal professionals leverage tech and project management principles with the right amount of human oversight to deliver precise, efficient, and cost-effective legal solutions. Whether it's legal operations and contract management support, subpoena compliance, or document review, Percipient is your partner in really doing more for less. Percipient, legal services powered by technology. We'll get back to my talk with Colin and Rich in just a second, but if there's anything you heard on today's episode you want to learn more about, you can check out the episode page at tlpodcast.com. We have links to more information about our guests and also links to stuff we talked about. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Also, if you want to subscribe, you can find us pretty much wherever you get podcasts. And if you like us enough, I hope you give us a thumbs up and a good review. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Colin Williams and Rich Lee. I think there's a misperception that arbitration is somehow more efficient than litigation. A court case can take three years, but arbitration is months and months and months. And I know that's true from experience. Maybe not every arbitration, but you know, one of the biggest cases I ever had was in arbitration. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. And it was just as expensive and just as long as litigation. So what is it that you are going to do differently that shortens the process? How can you make sure that it's not going to take months and months and months and millions and millions of dollars to get something done? Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. And as a matter of fact, in my career as a litigator, I arbitrated more cases than actually litigated in court. I did a fair amount of both of them, but I arbitrated a lot of cases. And what really struck me about it is just what you mentioned. This is the same process. Same process. It's, no difference. It's, not, it's really not any different. Um, it's private as opposed to being public record. But that was really the only difference between arbitration and litigation. You know, I think the problem in both of those is that there's a ton of process and procedure that are built into both litigation and traditional arbitration. And the focus of the entire, the entire dispute becomes that process and procedure. Um, and what we really felt is that it's really interesting in a litigation process that the judge and the arbitrator have probably the least power of any of the parties, right? And that they kind of just sit back and, you know, they, the attorneys do their thing and they, they follow the rules. And all of a sudden you're three years down the road and the judge is probably sitting there thinking, you know, I know who should have won this on day five. 
So what we're doing is we're trying to remove uh, the process and procedure, and we're trying to put the power into the hands of the neutral and saying, you drive this process. You tell the parties what you need to see to make a decision. And that's who really should be making these decisions anyhow, right? They're the ones who should be in charge. In litigation and arbitration, they sort of facially are in charge. But the reality is they don't have a lot of power to sort of dictate the pace of the case. Um, and we really think that they should have the power to dictate the pace of the case because they're the ones who are actually making that decision. Are you going to set up your own rules or, you know, AAA has rules. Obviously, there's rules of civil procedure. What is going to be used at New Era? So what we're doing is, yes, we're building our own rules. That's exactly what we're doing. But what we're doing is we're really stripping out a lot of the noise. So, you know, when you look at the rules of civil procedure, you know, they're long, they're arduous. There's all sorts of places within the rules of civil procedure, within the rules of evidence that you can play games. So what we're doing is we're trying to strip everything down and saying the power sits with the neutral, right? The neutral knows what's hearsay. The neutral knows whether or not this case, case is right for summary judgment. So let's let them drive that process, right? So yes, we're creating our own set of procedures, but the reality is what we're really doing is simplifying everything and saying, well, let's listen to the person who has all the experience and has the ability to make a decision on this thing. Yeah, and the procedures themselves will give the neutrals, you know, kind of the the authority, right? And the the guidelines, something to reference when they are driving this. You know, the example would be limited discovery. We're going to put a lot of limitations on the amount of evidence and the amount of time, you know, that that process will take. You know, and then if the parties want more, um, you know, they can they can request that from a neutral, but the neutral can decide if they they've already seen enough or you know if they actually need more you know, additional evidence. Well, that's a good point too, because I assume the parties that are agreeing to do this are sophisticated enough and their, their motivation is such that they want to get this done efficiently. So they're going to be on board from the get-go that they're not going to have to deal with 500 BS discovery motions over some server that's dead in Pensacola, you know, just a subterfuge, you know, so, which actually is a good segue to question. What's the go-to-market? Who, who are you trying to target at first? I assume anybody wants to have their dispute heard on the platform can, and then they go to the website and do that. But companies to try to get arbitration clause in their contract, you go into courts, what's the, where are you trying to gain traction? I think it's a, it's, it's kind of a multi-pronged approach. Um, you know, the, the first is existing disputes, right? So if, if you go back to the pandemic, the other cause, the other kind of byproduct of the pandemic is that, you know, the courts are closed and there's only a trickle of cases going through. Um, and by all accounts from either court administrators or judges that we've spoken to, you know, it's that when courts reopen and even now um, they're prioritizing criminal cases, you know, and not the civil cases. Um, so what that creates is this kind of really big backlog of, uh, of cases that, you know, frankly, I think a lot of courts haven't dealt with yet. Then you have a lot of the additional you know, cases and litigation that, frankly, we think hasn't even been filed yet. You know, whether it's companies just kind of staying, you know, nice during the pandemic or a lot of litigation that's been caused by, you know, that's been induced by the pandemic that hasn't actually made its way, you know, to court filings yet. You know, examples would be as businesses shut down. I mean, vendors aren't getting paid. Landlords, landlords aren't getting paid. Employees are out on the street, you know, and all of this is going to result, you know, in a whole slew of uh, other litigation. Um, and so we will be, you know, going to existing cases and contacting, you know, kind of parties and attorneys to existing cases. And, you know, recommending that this be a really, really good outlet. Come here, resolve your case faster with, you know, the same quality neutral that, you know, you would get as, as the judge in court, but, you know, put it behind you. 
you know, so for the, those existing cases, we'll be targeting, you know, kind of we'll, we'll be looking the court dockets. On the other end is is the companies themselves. You're exactly right, Chad. Uh, you know, the, the companies are the ones that are the ultimate decision makers. And frankly, I think the, the value proposition of putting this into your contracts, you know, and immediately reducing the liability exposure and the risk exposure of each of those transactions that you're entering into, because when there actually is going to be a dispute, you're looking at a much faster resolution uh, versus, you know, a long dragged out um, fight that may, that may or may not, you know, end in your favor, you know, I think is very appealing. I know for the three of us who are former GCs, and we think it, it makes, you know, all the sense in the world to, uh, to companies. Well, I saw on the site too, it looks like there's three different flavors at this point. You've got medi- straight mediation, you've got binding mediation, and you got binding arbitration. Is that what's being offered right now? Yeah, there's effectively, I mean, you could, you could put it into two tranches with two things that hang off of each, right? Which is exactly a mediation product, which has more of a standard traditional mediation than a mediation with a binding decision at the end if both parties agree. Uh, and then when you look at the arbitration side, we have expedited arbitration, which is meant for, um, you know, more small consumer cases, employment cases, things like that, where you can really push people through the process and get a decision really quickly. Um, and then we have a commercial arbitration process which is a little bit longer, but at the end of the day, we're still striving to get cases done in under a hundred days, which as you know, Chad, look at litigation, look at arbitration, you know, we're, you know, we're 80 to 90% shorter. So if you look at it, we have two tranches of product and then there's two that hang off of each of those tranches. Binding mediation is interesting because mediation, usually both sides, they shuttle diplomacy, they tell their side of the case. It's a lot of times an opportunity to be heard. Sometimes depending on the mediation, they parties literally set across from each other. How is that going to work in a binding fashion? Because generally mediation is, there's no deal, there's no deal. The, the, the people have got to agree. How's it going to work if it's binding? Yeah, this is this is a really interesting thing that, um, you know, MEDARBs have existed, but in 11 years as a litigator, I'd never even heard the term. Yeah, it's, um, intri- it's intriguing. It is. And, and the reality is, if you look at mediation and you truly say what happens here, You've got a mediator who's going back and forth and trying to effectuate a settlement. That, that's clearly happening. But to say that that mediator is not making decisions in their mind about who they think is correct and who they don't think is correct would be kind of farcical, right? Like that person's making a decision because they're a human. And so what I've always found is that in mediations is both sides can tend to convince themselves that they're definitely correct. And so what we want is, you know, as that mediator goes through the process and if, it real, if they realize that they're not going to come to a decision, the mediator knows the facts. They know the parties. They've been able to do an evaluation of who they think is telling the truth or not. Uh, and if the parties agree and say, hey, we'd like you to take off your mediator hat and put on your arbitrator hat. Well, all of a sudden that neutral is in a tremendous position to say, well, I know who I think is right. So I can issue a decision relatively quickly following this med- mediation. And there we've created the fish, the efficiency that is what we're striving to do in every every part of this process. But you're right. This is not something that's been done a lot. It's pretty novel. It's certainly novel in a digital context. But once again, if you look at this product, what it does is it pushes efficiency. So um, the parties have to agree. But we think it's a product that's really, really interesting and, and will help a lot of people. You know, now I think about it, it does happen, not often, but it does happen. There's certain mediations where you, you might have participated in where it's the high-low thing. The mediator is going to give you the number. It's kind of similar yeah. to that, but it's got more teeth, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. It sounds to me, Colin, that one of the differentiators between ease of tech and efficiency and stuff, it is the quality of the neutrals. 
Where are you finding them? Are there certain qualifications? How do they get involved with the company? Yeah, I think one of the most important things and one of the questions we've gotten a lot from attorneys, and it's a very, very fair question, which is who's going to decide my case, right? Because I may not love AAA, I may not love jams, I may not love going to court, but in general, I feel like I'm going to get somebody who's experienced and, and knows what they're doing in general. And we want that same thing out of you guys. We do not want somebody who's two years out of law school and hanging out a shingle and saying, I'm a neutral now, right? So, you know, what we've done is uh, we've partnered with organizations. The most prominent one is called the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, um, which is a trade association for arbitrators and mediators. They have a really stringent process about getting into the organization. Darren, their executive director, is a fantastic guy, and he's really built a really cool organization that makes sure that everybody who's a member is tremendously experienced, you know, traditionally has been either an ex-judge or has done a certain number of mediations and arbitrations. And that, you know, that that's a time requirement. That's a year requirement. That's a volume requirement to get into that organization. And so, you know, when we pitched the idea to Darren, he said, this is, this is great, right? We're really excited about this. So, and they cover, you know, 50 states. They're geographically everywhere. So we can meet people where they are. But the really cool thing about that is that we can stare people in the face and say, you know, with a very straight face and say, we're going to give you somebody who's as good, if not better than anybody you would get anyplace else. So that really diffused the concern of attorneys like, well, who the hell's going to make these decisions for us? So it's been a really, really good thing. And, and we're incredibly grateful to Darren. We're incredibly grateful to Sandy Brook and Jag and, and all those folks who are supporting us. Well, great, great. Uh, Colin, Rich, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. I think it's a great uh, online dispute resolution is a great idea. Much needed, and so I think you guys are going to get some good traction. If people want to get a hold of you, learn more about uh, New Era. Where do they find you guys? They would go to you know www.neweraadr.com. And if they want to get a hold of you guys personally, oh, our emails. Yeah, it's a uh, it's just Rich at neweraadr.com, and then Colin at neweraadr.com with two L's. Everybody always asks me that, so it's Colin with two L's. All right, that's all we got for this episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can catch us on most major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Google, and most all of the others. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, this has been Technically Legal.